Nauman, it is uh, such a privilege to be able to preach at your installation service, but um, I'm in a bit of an existential crisis for a couple of reasons. Uh, those of you who don't know, uh, when I first met him, he basically told me he was a New York Yankees fan. <laughs> and from that moment, there was a little bit of a, a sibling rivalry. Um, but it also occurred to me that our relationship is going to fundamentally change. You have hitherto been known to me as my Tongseng. And now you're, in about 30 minutes, you're going to become my Muksanim. And for those of you who have no idea what I'm talking about, just, I apologize, it's a Korean thing, but um, power dynamics are going to change. And this is, you know, I've got to get my head around that. But anyway, um, let's read the text that um, uh, we're going to look at today. It's on page four of your outlines. The text is 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. I will read it, and then we will respond together by saying thanks be to God. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Leadership is a funny thing. I've been uh, thinking about this for the last couple of weeks for a variety of reasons. Uh, most people view leadership as a, as a really noble thing to pursue. People are always looking for good leaders. a hard thing to find good leaders. And they look for someone to sort of coalesce around. Someone they can esteem. Someone they can talk about and be proud about. Many of us have probably been inspired to lead, if you're in a position of leadership, because someone's inspired you. Coach, boss, maybe even a president of past years, or a pastor. But equally, if you've ever been in positions of leadership, you will know this very well. Leaders are the first people to be criticized. They'll be condemned. They'll be demonized. They will be dragged down by people until the people get what they want. They'll be chewed up, spit out, until they have no will to lead. Being a leader can be brutal. Dan Doriani, who's a professor at Covenant Seminary, had this to say about leadership. Leadership is a paradox. A glory and a ruin, a privilege and a torment. People assist and advise them. They favor them and they flatter them. They haunt them and they hover over them. Others, they suspect them. They criticize them and they condemn them. They drown their leaders and delight in their demise. It is so easy to rail at a leader than to be one. Every step up is simultaneously a step down. Sobering, isn't it? 
What sane person would want to be a leader? Now, whether you like it or not, you're about to be installed into a position of leadership. Yes, leadership can be paradoxical, and it can be even downright depressing and downright daunting. But this text that we've just read in 1 Peter, Peter gives us, gives us the elders in the church, honest words of encouragement, as well as some guidelines as to what sustainable, godly leadership looks like. Real advice. And very briefly, the imagery here that is used is that of a shepherd. The exhortation, very simply put, is going to be, imitate Christ, the great shepherd. And he's going to make three points to explain, put a little bit more flesh on what that means. He's going to say, elders are to share in the sufferings of Christ. Elders are to shepherd the flock by following Christ's example as the great shepherd. And thirdly, elders are to share in Christ's glory. I want to very quickly look at those three points in turn. Take a look at verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. It's the first thing he says, right? Peter does not hide the fact that there will be suffering. Suffering may not come in the form of imprisonment or executions, um, which, by the way, is happening all around the world to our brothers and sisters in China and Nigeria and all over the world. But Peter's already told us in chapter 4, verse 13, faithful churches will suffer. Faithful elders will experience suffering for the sake of Christ. And not only are you going to be a target as an elder, Peter is also saying that there is no immunity to suffering for Christian leaders. God does not spare you that. And so from the very get-go, Peter says, expect suffering. Expect to be persecuted. Expect to be pressured and harassed and harangued. But know also that suffering is not a sign of abandonment by God. In fact, suffering is confirmation of godly leadership. Suffering is the authentic Christian experience on the journey to glory. That is what the book of 1 Peter is all about. If you've, if you've read it, if you've studied it, you know that. And so we are called to share in these sufferings. The second thing I want to point out in that verse, Peter calls himself a fellow elder. I don't want that to go unnoticed. Peter is the one who is appointed by Jesus himself to be an apostle. To be someone to go out and preach the word of God. He's one of his three. He's one of the inner circle. He of all people. Has the right to do what? To put himself up. And yet he very intentionally here. Uses the words. I am a fellow elder. One among many. In the church of God. And I I thought a little bit about why on earth he might say that. And I think the answer is because Peter, of all people, knows he is not a perfect leader. You think back on his life. Think, think back on 
on how he himself contributed to the sufferings of his Lord, Jesus Christ. Whether it's the Garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus asks him as his intimate friend, stay with me. And then after he's whisked off, he's confronted three times by people and he denies him three times. Imagine the psychological state he is in after Jesus has died. He's holed up with the disciples somewhere. Imagine the failure he must have felt having betrayed Jesus. But then look at what happens. A few days later, the resurrected Lord appears. John chapter 21, verses 15 through 17. Jesus takes Peter to the lake. The man who denied him three times. And what does Jesus do? He gently tells him. He gently asks him. Three times. He asks him, do you love me? And this gives Peter an opportunity to declare three times. I love you. You know that I love you. I love you. And in response, what does Jesus do? He commissions him. Three times. Then feed my lambs. Take care of my flock. Feed my sheep. And it's in this moment, I think, that this very feeble and weak and fickle Peter is restored, as it were. Right? He's commissioned to go and care for Jesus' flock. And as he writes these verses here, and as he sort of identifies himself as a fellow elder, I think what he is saying is, I am living proof that no Christian leader is self-qualified. Because he should have been. Of all people, right? I do not deserve to be a leader in this church, but how is he commissioned? He knows that Jesus forgives, Jesus appoints, Jesus commissions and then provides for all people that he calls to lead, even Peter. And Peter should have been disqualified, as it were, from eldership on account of his actions. And Jesus calls him. I think what Peter's expressing here, there's a learned humility that reminds us that it is Jesus who makes leadership effective. It's nothing that you have done. It's nothing that any of these elders have done. And that is why humility is such an important starting point for leadership. Second thing to say here, elders are to shepherd the flock by following Christ's example. I see that in verses 2 and 3. We are to model ourselves after Christ. I want... In America, there are all sorts of different types of models for elders. There are books and books about Christian leadership, right? There is the CEO model. Some people go to church expecting their pastor to be this astute business person who has the acumen to be able to strategically plan out the five, ten years. This is what we're going to do. We're going to grow, right? There's a business model. And there's an expectation of the congregants that their pastor will be that kind of manager. Or some people, perhaps, they view their pastors as an entertainer of sorts. Seriously. Their attitude as they come to church. They want the worship band to be almost like the radio that they turn on. Perfect music. 
They want their pastor to come up here and they want them to preach in a way that will entertain them. Wow, my pastor could preach a great sermon. Right? Entertainment. There are some people who expect their pastors or ministers or priests to be sort of spiritual, I don't don't know what this is, spiritual professionals, vending machines of sorts, right? They want their pastors to meet their needs and to service them. Baptize my child. Come visit me when I'm in the hospital and ailing. And then the rest of the time, really, I don't need you, right? There's that kind of mentality. In some circles, pastors are viewed as kings. Uh, they're almost sort of royalty, like practically like worshipped in certain cultures, honor shame cultures, in poor countries. You go to Africa, you'll see this. And uh, in a sense, one of the reasons why that happens is because pastors represent the people. And so they want their pastors to be esteemed and dignified, and they put them up on a pedestal, right? Actually, I knew of a, a youth pastor, Korean youth pastor in New Jersey, who was given by the church a brand new Lexus because they really wanted their pastor to be representing us well. I can tell you the name of that church later if you want. <laughs> but CEO, there's an entertainer, there's a vending machine, right? There are all sorts of different models that we have created, we've expected of pastors, but it's very clear in this chapter, there is only one model that we have, and that is one of a shepherd. So let's, let's think about that a little bit. Why a shepherd? Well, notice also that Peter's already introduced Jesus as a shepherd. Chapter 2, verse 25, people are compared to sheep, right? And... And Peter says that they are straying like sheep, but they have returned now to the shepherd, the observer of souls. Also, keep in mind, Peter would have followed Jesus and heard him talk about how he is the great shepherd, right? It's a a common metaphor in the Old Testament. Uh, Don't get me started on that. Genesis 48, uh, Jacob talks about how God is his shepherd. Psalm 23 talks about how Yahweh is our shepherd. There are other places, Numbers 27, Joshua is a shepherd. Let me read to you one of the most sobering texts, Ezekiel chapter 34. Israelite elders are called to be shepherds, to take God's people and to lead them well. And this is what God says. Thus says the Lord God, Oh, you shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourself with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled over them. And so they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for the wild beasts. And he condemns them. But the reason I read this is because a few verses later, this is what God says in verse 15. There's a beautiful promise. It says this. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. Even in the Old Testament, God has declared he is the great shepherd. 
that this is obviously going to find its great fulfillment in Jesus' name. There is going to come a time when we physically have a great shepherd. And he is going to lead his people. It's most clearly seen in John 10, 11, where he says, I am the good shepherd. And what is he going to do? I am going to lay down my life for my sheep. And I'm, that's the model that is set for us. It's a beautiful model to pattern your life of ministry after. Shepherd is not a cowboy. What do cowboys do? They drive their flock like cattle. The shepherd leads by example, by walking on ahead. The shepherd is both strong, he represents strength on the one hand, and tenderness on the other. He's courageous, and he's also compassionate. He's got all the authority, and yet he serves. And it's that meekness and humility about Jesus that I think we're supposed to model. I think the question is, how do we as human beings uh, follow that um, incredibly difficult model? And there are two little things in here that I think it's worth noting. Verse 2, very clear once again, as Ezekiel 34.15 says, the church is not yours. It's not even Matt's. It's not the sessions, and it's certainly not the presbytery. It's just not ours. These people are God's flock. Remember that. And secondly, I hate to say this, you're not the top dog. Verse 4, Jesus is the chief shepherd you serve under. And don't forget that. Peter goes on then to give us three adverbs in verses 2 and 3. Three distinctive features, three words, if you want to call it that, that describe biblical eldership. And um, I'll very briefly kind of go through these. He says, a godly elder is going to lead willingly, eagerly, and humbly. Willingly, eagerly, and humbly. A godly elder will lead willingly because he wants to. Because... There is nothing he'd rather do than pour out his life for those Christ poured out his life for. And if Jesus is your model for how to lead, if you consider his love that he lays down his life for his sheep and those he died for, then that fire to want to lead will always be there. Your service will not be out of compulsion. You will wake up in the morning wanting to lead. A godly elder will also lead eagerly, not for what he can gain, that's the corollary that's there, but for what he can give. We all know you're not in this for the money. A man who is educated as you are, the man who is as intelligent and affable and bright as you are, you could have gone anywhere. We know that. This is talking about the heart too, isn't it? God wants pastors who are eager to give. He wants pastors who aren't seeking to gain something. And again, who's the best model of that? Lord Jesus Christ. Gave up everything to come to, to us and to model for us what that looks like. For a sheep, to give up his life for a sheep. Lastly, godly elder will not be domineering or power hungry. This is related to the second 
But um, I think what is, is being stated here is that a godly elder would lead by example, by submitting to and emulating the great chief shepherd. We do this by resting on the authority of the word of God. Preach the word of God. Don't preach anything else. You don't need anything else. Point the sheep to Jesus, the chief shepherd. Not to your God-given talents. Not to yourself. And in verse 4, the last point there is, don't forget that you are serving the Lord for reward that will not perish. Peter has been hammering this point all through this epistle. Uh, And implicit in this promise to the elders is an encouragement that your efforts will not be in vain. You may not hear this now, but I promise you there will be times where you need to be reminded of that. Your efforts are not in vain. You will come home and you will wonder what on earth you've gotten yourself into. But remember this. That there is a crown of glory that is awaiting you. In the difficult spells of your ministry, remember that Jesus goes before you. What on earth, uh, I suppose we should also think about, if you're giving up your wealth, your, all the dreams that you may have had before you considered um, ordained ministry, and now if you're going to be throwing yourself into the lion's den, into uh, all the criticisms and everything that's going to come your way, what's in it for you? Fair question. Um, I don't have time to break down what that unfading crown of glory, but there's one verse in the Old Testament I want to leave you with, because I think Peter is hearkening back to that. It's in Isaiah 28, 5, and it is a beautiful, beautiful picture with the exact same phrase, the exact same idea. In that day, the Lord Almighty, He Himself will be a glorious crown, a beautiful wreath for the remnant of of his people. I don't know if you caught that. The crown of resurrection life for faithful elders, in fact, for all who call on the name of the Lord, your reward is God himself. You will gain God. And that is a crown that is worth serving for. So now I'm sharing the sufferings of Christ Knowing that when you suffer, it is the mark of the Christian life. It is the mark of the Christian elder. God has not abandoned you. Look to Christ as your example. Serve willingly. Serve eagerly. And serve with a heart that is full of humility. And finally, remember that if you share in Christ's sufferings, you will share in Christ's glory and you will gain God himself.